0: weather
1: <laughs> hey everybody welcome to road trip radio my name is Pat Kelly and as always I'm joined by the uh, funny intelligent uh, sophisticated passionate Caitlin Houghton
2: Thank you, Pat. Those are four very nice things you just said about me.
1: You're welcome, Caitlin.
2: As always, this is the show created for all you Canadian families out there who are currently enjoying a beautiful Canadian summer.
1: Yes, and today we are celebrating all things Prince Edward Island, Canada's smallest province, but that by no means makes it any less important, especially if you love Anne of Green Gables or potatoes.
2: This episode is going to be dedicated to exploring and talking about all things PEI.
1: And speaking of exploring, we will be joined by our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, who is always one step ahead of us. Uh, We do believe that he's on Prince Edward Island uh, as we speak, Um, and maybe we can get him on the phone. Uh, Peter, are you there?
3: Hey, Pat, not quite in PEI yet, so uh, nothing to report yet, but uh, making my way to that Hallowed Island, Prince Edward Island.
1: Well, I'm a I'm a little confused, Peter. Why aren't you in PER yet? We, you left four days ago.
3: Yes, of course, and your math is correct. It, it was four days ago, uh, but there's a, a small caveat here, and that is, of course, I've rented a smart car, uh, and and I, I did that in an effort to sort of save some money for the show, trying to chip in and do my part. Uh, but the thing is, is is uh, although it's very good on fuel, it's very lightweight path. And at this point, it really is not safe to cross the Confederation Bridge because it's quite windy. So I'm just waiting for those winds to die down. And then I will get back on the road and, and make my way safely to Prince Edward Island.
1: Well, if it's, you know, if there's been high winds for four days, Peter, it would have made sense for you to go and return the car and get something heavier so you could cross. Yes.
3: And that's the funny thing about wind is you just never know when it's going to stop. Certainly, it's been strong for four days, but certainly wouldn't last another hour, I don't think. So my plan is to wait it out.
1: Okay, so what are you going to do while waiting, then?
3: What I will be doing next is having some lunch. Uh, I I am at a a beautiful, uh, you would call it a service station, a gas station, but they have a seafood restaurant there as well as a a play zone for younger members of the family. Uh, So I plan on tasting the treats of the gas station uh in the in the seafood uh restaurant
1: okay well uh we wish you best of luck having lunch peter and uh, we'll check in with you uh in a little bit to hopefully uh get you on prince edward island and hear a little bit more about what it's like there on the ground
3: well you don't need to wish me any luck on having lunch Uh, that's something i tend to do relatively successfully every day So
1: thank you so much pat okay peter we'll check in with you later
2: Also on today's show, we try to outfox Charlottetown's foxes, we learn how to make some crazy PEI sandcastles, and we're going to take a quiz with Zoe and Sophia.
1: But before we go full steam ahead on this episode, it's time to learn a little bit about a place we like to call Prince Edward Island.
4: Get to know Prince Edward
1: Island.
2: Just to give you an idea of its size, 240 Prince Edward Islands could fit into Quebec.
1: There are only 146,000 people in PEI, but that's still larger than the populations of Yukon, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut combined.
2: Each year, PEI produces over 75 pounds of potatoes per Canadian. So by my math, it's important that we all eat at least six potatoes a day to keep up.
1: There are almost three times as many chickens as people in PEI, and to no one's surprise, there's a potato museum in the northwest corner of the province in Prince County. So, if you go to that museum, remember look, don't eat.
2: And that's all you need to know about PEI at this point, but it's not the last you're going to hear about potatoes. Thank goodness.
5: Mornings on Road Trip Radio, the Lester Cleming Show, a call-in show that's not very unique. In fact, it's just like every other call-in show you've ever heard. Listen, as Lester talks to callers, we've heard a million times before. Like first-time caller guy, go ahead, caller on uh, line one. Are you there?
3: Hey, good night there, Lester. A uh, first-time caller, long-time Lester.
5: <laughs> uh, well, that's fantastic. Uh, thanks for calling. Okay, thanks then. Bye-bye. At least once a week, Lester will talk with somebody that needs to turn down their radio.
1: How are you? Uh, caller, I'm going to have to ask you to, to turn so uh, turn echo. that radio in the background there, please. What? what? Uh, go ahead and turn down that radio in the background. I
3: can't hear you. There's so much, so much echo here. Can you turn down your radio?
5: But the fun doesn't stop there. The Lester Clemens Show has just about every type of caller you'd expect to hear on every other call-in show. A furious person.
6: You know, I don't normally call into these things, but I am so furious.
5: The last call piggybacker. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on uh, what your last caller said. I agree with what they said, uh, word for word. The ask a question, then hang up guy. Uh, My question for you is, uh, you know, how do
3: you think we're going to solve this? Uh, Okay, thanks. I'm going to hang up now and uh, hear what you have to say.
5: The caller with a horrible cell phone connection.
3: Can you hear me up. We're cell phone.
5: Still there? And for most of the show, he'll just take calls from people who really want to hear the sound of their own voice. About
3: twenty years ago, when I was in university, the first thing a professor ever told me, he said, "Well, always find the connection with something." And you know, listening to this conversation and people going on and on and on and on and on
5: about. Tune in to the Lester Cleming Show mornings on Road Trip Radio to hear callers call with calls you've heard a thousand times before.
3: Another thing that gets in my craw, Lester. Crosswalks. Why do we
1: have them?
5: Road Trip Radio Community Calendar!
1: It's now time for the Prince Edward Island Community Calendar brought to you by these crazy kids. (laughs) A warning only one of these events is real. It's up to you to decide which one it is.
2: In celebration of Canada 150, a sound and light show will be projected on the walls of the Confederation Center in Charlottetown. This will be best at night, so tell your parents you're allowed to stay up late.
4: On Friday is the PEI Potato Picnic. Potatoes from all across the province are invited to take a day off work and have a picnic with other like-minded potatoes.
7: This weekend, it's the Festival of Shovels. Everyone in the province can come on down and fix potholes in the road to Avonlea.
1: And that's the Road Trip Radio community calendar brought to you by these crazy community kids. Yeah!
2: And now, In Conversation. If you've ever traveled to Prince Edward Island, then you might already know that they have a lot of foxes. Some might call it a bit of an epidemic. Gary Gregory is a conservation biologist who's working out of Charlottetown. If there's an expert on foxes, it might be him. So, Gary, what is the deal with all these foxes?
6: Oh well, uh, in and around our suburban areas, uh, particularly around Charlottetown and and some of the the communities on the periphery of Charlottetown, we have quite a high density of, of red foxes and and foxes that are very very used to being around people. Certainly to the point where you know many of our backyards have a family of foxes, and it's not an uncommon sight to drive past a, a residential yard and see several foxes asleep in the middle of the day.
2: How many foxes actually live in Charlottetown?
6: Somewhere between sixty and. 80 active den sites within the Miss Valley Charlton. shelter. So, if you assume, you know, that each den site represents a family group, you pretty quickly get into a population of, you know, three to five hundred foxes in the Charlestown area.
2: Why are there so many foxes living in the city? This sounds crazy.
6: Uh, I mean, it's a good question, and, and of course there are several theories uh, as to why that why that's the case. One of the prevailing theories is that the arrival of coyotes has pushed foxes somewhat from their, you know, traditional countryside habitats into more of the urban landscape. Uh, you know, I've been in meetings downtown where you look out the window and there's three foxes just running around downtown.
2: How do people feel about having uh, this many foxes as neighbors?
6: It's a matter of perspective, and a lot of people have really taken a shine to having them around and, you know, to the point where, some people have, you know, names for certain foxes and they know when they come around and they feed them by hand. Other people that uh, happen to have a shed or something in their backyard that a fox is denning under or have had foxes in their yard, you know, digging up all the sod to to access grubs underneath the soil. You know, they have a slightly different perspective on foxes and perhaps aren't so fond of having them around, at least in such high densities.
2: The people who like them, what are they feeding them?
6: They'll feed them biscuits or I know there's some people that buy a big log of bologna and slice that up on a daily basis and and feed them bologna or, you know, uh, just bread from their hand or really whatever they have.
2: You know, the people on the East Coast do have a reputation of being very friendly. So, I guess if you're hungry, just dress up as a fox, hang around. Someone will feed you a bologna sandwich eventually. (laughs)
6: Listen, I guess that extends for foxes and people. Hang around (laughs) long enough, you'll eventually get a sandwich (laughs) and a cup of tea. Gary, how do the foxes
2: feel about being around people so much?
6: Well, they certainly in most cases have lost almost all fear of people because they now either directly associate people with food or at the very least don't associate people with any sort of threat. And so once again it's not uncommon if you have a you know group of kids playing soccer in a soccer field and a bunch of parents standing around the sidelines to have foxes kind of intermingling around that large group of people with absolutely no fear or hesitation whatsoever.
2: Which is just ruining the soccer game. Now all these foxes are offside,
6: right? <laughs> yeah, the refs don't pay too much attention to foxes.
2: <laughs> so what, would, what do people do, though, if they, like you said, there's a family of foxes living under your porch. What do people do? Do they just cohabitate with these with these foxes?
6: It can be a very, very daunting challenge to try to, you know, make those or encourage those foxes to move on so what would really help us stop feeding the foxes
2: what's something that a fox could do um like like the top three uh, annoying things that foxes can do
6: you know, if they have a, a, a den site under your shed, for instance, they're active diggers. They will dig repeatedly and persistently. They can cause a, cause a lot of damage that way. And, of course, w- with a litter of young, of five to six young, and the, and the parents, there's quite a bit of you know waste associated with that, and they're carrying back food to the den site. So, the, you know, the smell and the sounds can be quite obtrusive to certain people.
2: It's like when your in-laws come and stay with you. And
6: Yeah, well, your in-laws are hopefully a little more amenable to... to Finally, removing themselves if you ask them to.
2: Well, uh, you'd think, right?
6: <laughs> In most cases.
2: <laughs> um, well, Gary, thank you so much, and good luck continuing trying to outfox these foxes.
6: I <laughs> appreciate that.
2: It's been a pleasure talking with you. Have a great day.
6: Yeah, you too.
7: This is you doing quizzes on the open road with us, Sophia and Zoe. Whales, tall tales, spuds, and buds. Let's hit the road. You want to go? Go. Let's go. All right. Okay. Cool. Fine. Let's hit the road. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Can I show you a magic trick? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Think of your favorite food, and I'm going to try mind reading. I'm going to guess that your favorite food is... Potatoes. Now that was pretty easy. Between baked mash poutine and potato chips, how could it be anything else? New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island are some of the biggest potato producing provinces in Canada. We like to call them spud buds for that reason. Let's do a mind reading quiz. For this quiz, grab a friend, family member, or someone you want to try mind reading. This quiz isn't all about points. It's about getting to know your mind-reading partner. And potatoes. Starch. Your engines, folks. (laughs) Question one. If your partner were a superhero, which of the following names would they choose for their superhero name? Would it be one, Rocket, two, Starburst, three, Asterix, or four, Baby Boomer? These are all potato variety names, if you didn't know. Over 150 different kinds of potatoes are grown in Canada, and these are just four of them. Could you guess each other's answers? Are you one step closer to being spud buds? (laughs) Okay, let's give the next one a fry. (laughs) (laughs) Question two. What is your partner's favorite vitamin and mineral-rich fruit or vegetable? Is it one, bananas, two, spinach, three, potatoes, or four, apples? Believe it or not, potatoes contain more potassium than bananas, more iron than a cup of spinach, and more fiber than an apple. A baked potato is a healthy, high-fiber food with a significant nutritional value. Now, this is the pure and simple tato we're talking about, not the fried, buttered, or salted kind. Taters are a great source of vitamin B6, potassium, copper, and vitamin C. And that's something spud-producing buds New Brunswick and PEI can feel pretty good about. <laughs> Next question. Which of the following items would your quiz partner most desire? If you don't see the potato point to this, just you wait. Aren't potatoes round? What? What's with the potato point? Okay, never mind. 1. A spaceship. 2. A Mr. Potato Head toy. 3. A light bulb. Or 4. A potato. Seem like a weird list? Well, get this. For answer 1, a spaceship... Potatoes were the first vegetable ever grown in space. Out of this world! For answer two, the original Mr. Potato Head toy used a real potato instead of the plastic variety. Sounds like a toy with a short shelf life, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Wah wah. (laughs) Answer three, light bulb. A battery made from a potato could supply enough power to light a room for a month. Now that is what I call green energy. And last but not least, a potato. With a single potato comes great responsibility. You need no seed. Plant an old potato and a potato plant will grow. Well, hope you got to know a little bit more about PEI, New Brunswick, and their beautiful potatoes. And maybe learned a little bit more about the starchy side of your quizzing bud. And maybe even learned to read minds.
2: We're back with more Road Trip Radio. I'm Caitlin Howden, and beside me is the luminary Pat Kelly.
1: Oh thank you, Caitlin. Today we're excited to be featuring all things Prince Edward Island.
2: One of the most unique things about the island are the people who live there. They are so unique in so many ways, and we thought we would just share with you a short list of ways that you can spot a true islander.
1: A true islander pronounces Island Oiland, which I think is spelled O-I-S-L-A-N-D, so...
2: Oil. Oiland. Oh, also, they'll tell you that there was no Anne of Green Gables, and they will crush your dreams. Well,
1: that's just a true statement. There was no Anne. It's a fictional character. You're killing me, Pat. It's time to grow up. They will utter the phrase, Shh, the deaths are on. And I have no idea what that means, but it sounds ominous.
2: It does sound ominous, yes. They pronounce the word battery as bat tree
1: They don't hang out the wash. They hang out the wash.
2: And finally... They've eaten seaweed pie, which everyone else just calls sushi.
1: And that's a little bit about the people of Prince Edward Island. You know, to find out a little bit more about what it's actually like there on Prince Edward Island, I think it's time to check in with our roving reporter, Peter Oldring, who was having some difficulty getting there, but hopefully his situation has improved. Peter, are you there?
3: Hey, 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 Pat. Uh, positive thinking on your part, but no, I'm not.
1: So still no updates about Prince Edward Island in itself.
3: Hang on a hitch there, uh, my good sir, because I do have an update. Uh, and the update uh, pertains to the Irving Big Stop gas station, uh, which is where I had lunch uh, at their seafood restaurant called Fishy. A uh, delicious little lunch spot
1: we don't need an update on your lunch peter we really do want to hear about prince edward island so uh why don't we call you back once you're over there
3: before you do i do want to talk a little bit about the clam and fries which was the appetizer that i had beautiful basket of fries uh, four perfectly fried uh, pieces of clam strip on top delicious served with a tartar sauce
1: okay well thanks for that peter uh but really do let us know when you're in pei and we'll get back to you then okay
3: but that was just what got my palate started, because it was the bowl of homestyle chowder that really told me I'm in for a very special treat. It was a, a very a thick, rich chowder. Pete, rich we
1: really do need to get on with the Prince Edward the salad, Island episode. So once you're there, please salad, do let us and know, and Red we'll, we'll talk a little bit more top top about that and, and not your life. I move
3: directly into what they called the captain's combo, which was a shrimp and scallop combo. And hello, what a what a match made in heaven. Shrimp and okay, Calibre Pete, I'm going to have to
1: hang up on you now, okay? We really do need to get on with the episode, so thanks. We'll check in once you're on Prince Edward Island.
3: Didn't think I could do it, but we moved on to the fourth course, which was what they were calling a muscle burger.
1: Okay. Well, if you are on Prince Edward Island, you know that summer in PEI is beach time. When Road Trip Radio correspondent Joanne Roberts heads to her favorite beach, she likes to take a pail and a shovel. So if you're looking to up your sandcastle game this summer, this story is for you.
4: When you think of the land of beaches or the best beaches in the world, what do you think of? Maybe California, Florida, or the Bahamas maybe? Maybe. What if I told you that one of the best places in the world with the most beach per person is actually Prince Edward Island? It might be Canada's smallest province, but it has 1,100 kilometers of shoreline. And with a population of only 140,000 people, that's eight meters of beach per person. And nowhere on PEI is more than 15 minutes from the beach. So PEI seems like the perfect place to go and learn a thing or two about building sandcastles. Now before you say, oh, that's just for babies, think again. Maurice Bernard is an artist, and he spends his summers teaching people to build their dreams in the sand.
8: I've seen everything for sandcastles. there be... I know there's a guy that keeps coming every year, Him and his family come down. He's a mechanical engineer, so he he builds a boat, a ship, an airplane, uh, and he would build big.
4: No matter who he's teaching, grown-ups or kids, Maurice starts with a few simple rules.
8: The wetter, the better the side and slide, and then if you whack it, you crack it.
4: Maybe I should translate those rules for
8: you. The wetter, the better. The
4: wetter, the better means the sand should be as wet as possible without being runny. Side and slide. And side and slide means slide your hands down the sides of your wet pile of sand to get the air bubbles out. And finally... If you
8: smack it, you crack it. Or if you whack it, you crack it.
4: You whack it, you crack it. Well, you probably got that one. Be gentle with your creation. When Maurice talks about building with sand, he talks a lot about muck. You know, adding sand to water. And he thinks PEI has some of the best sand anywhere. And... It's red.
8: In art, we call it an iron oxide red. So when I get paint and I'm trying to paint the the beaches and the cliffs, I get this iron oxide. And the granules, like they're very nice and fine. And then you have two different colors. When the sand is dry, you get kind of just a lighter pinkish tone. And then you can use that even in your sandcastle. You can, if you want to emphasize the redness of the castle itself, you surround it by the dry sand, so you just throw the sand right around it. And then it gives you two different colors.
4: Hi, my name is Drew Shields. I'm 12 years old. Drew studies art and sandcastles with Maurice, and today, Drew's tower isn't working out quite the way he was planning. Probably not the best one he made. <laughs> the sides are com- kind of coming out a little bit in the roof. Have enough water in it. Sometimes if it's a bit dry, it might not work as well. Drew loves to make what's in his imagination, but some people Maurice has known just want to go big. And others just want a place to sit.
8: There was these guys from New Brunswick. I remember last year was here at Brackley Beach. And then they made this great big couch that they sat on and then they they all sat out facing the ocean. And they just came over for the day to make the sandcastles and then went back to New Brunswick. So that was pretty fun.
4: Maurice doesn't get too technical. These tools are pretty basic.
8: We have buckets for water. There's a ruler and just a little picnic knife and a brush and it's usually a it's got to have soft bristles to brush, so it doesn't kind of um, take the sand away, it just kind of smooths it out. And basting brushes are really good. And then we have a little plastic knife, like it's like a putty knife. And then that gives you some nice straight walls. Especially in the wet sand, it, it comes out really, really smooth. And then what you do is you cut from the big mound that you built with the shovel, and you just cut it down. The more you cut it down, it becomes, you know, castle shape create curves and rectangles and the peaks for the roof and you can kind of make overhangs because I'll make an overhang right in here. And then what happens, it creates shadow and the more shadows that you have on the sandcastle, the better the picture will be at the end because that's the only thing you can really bring home.
4: In the end, he says, what he really loves is watching what happens when adults and kids leave their technology behind and start to unleash their inner architect.
8: In the end, like, there's three hours, like, they might spend three hours. The last hour and a half, they're just it just looks so much like a team. So it's not like, you know, parents and then kids and then, you know, kind of having their different interactions. But then it just, they you know, no matter what age they are, it just looks like they they seem to work as a team. And it's neat that way because then they all just quietly take their sections, keep building up, and sometimes there's not even any talking going in between and even the little ones they're just collecting shells and and you know they're they're all fine they all find a part where they can really do well at and I love it
4: Maurice loves what he does and he thinks the beaches of PEI are a perfect place to do it
8: Oh the beaches of PEI they're just beautiful it's just a big expanse of sand and I'm looking up right now and I'm seeing the water the waves kind of curling The water turns out to be a real beautiful blue in the summer at certain times of the day. The light hitting on the sand dunes, you know, once the the sun comes out, it's just kind of golden. You know, the beach is just, it's therapeutic. Like you're just there and then this is where you can kind of just gear down.
4: So if you're heading to the beach this summer, don't forget the basting brush and remember the three golden rules.
8: The wetter the better, the side and slide, and if you whack it, you crack it.
4: For Road Trip Radio, I'm Joanne Roberts, heading to the beach in Brackley, PEI.
1: To see Maurice and Drew's impressive sandcastle, check out Road Trip Radio on Instagram and Facebook.
4: You're listening to Road
6: Trip Radio.
0: What you are about to hear is true. These events occurred a few years ago in the Canadian wilderness. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Last time on the Spaghetti Bandit. RCMP officers declared that the Spaghetti Bandit was long gone. Despite his yellow kayak being filled with supplies, still tied up on the beach in front of Bob's cabin. I'm Grant Lawrence, and this is the story of the Spaghetti Bandit. Chapter 7 The
1: Aftermath
0: Bob spent a restless night as the storm wreaked havoc outside. He was certain the Spaghetti Bandit had to be close by, and he was right. At about 2 a.m. over the storm, he heard the distinct thudding and scraping sounds of a kayak being dragged over logs and rocks. Despite the wind and the rain and the waves, it was the Spaghetti Bandit making another getaway right into the eye of the storm in a pitch-black night. He paddled straight into it. Bob doubted the sanity of anyone who would attempt paddling a kayak in that weather at night. Bob doubted that he would ever make it to the other side. The next morning, Bob walked back over to Candy's cabin to have another look. He peeked through the curtains and immediately noted dirty dishes and empty tin cans on the counter. Candy would never leave that kind of stuff out at the end of the season. He tried the door. It was open. In the living room, there was a chair set up facing the break in the curtains. Beside the chair, an empty bottle of booze. Bob had been on the other side of that glass the day before. The spaghetti bandit had been inside, watching him. Just like all the other cabins, towels were taped to windows to block out light. On the floor of Candy's bedroom, Bob noticed a large buck knife. Word of the Spaghetti Bandit spread, and by the time the rest of the cottagers had arrived for spring break to take stock, the Spaghetti Bandit had broken into and stolen from at least a dozen cabins over several kilometers. It was generally agreed that the bandit had been respectful in most places, but it left the scattered cabin communities in a state of unrest. Was he still out there? Did he ever survive that 2 a.m. paddle? Was the Spaghetti Bandit dead or alive?
2: For the next installment of the Spaghetti Bandit, head over to the Nunavut episode.
1: To start the story from the beginning, jump back to B.C.,
2: Road Trip Radio is made possible with the support of our sponsors. Nay, Anything Horse Translator, Hot Vitamins, and Everything Pretzeled.
5: Take your love of pretzels to the next level at Everything Pretzel. The people who know everything is better when it's shaped like a pretzel. Everything Pretzeled has a wide variety of pretzel-shaped solutions to make your life easier. Pretzel-shaped steering wheels, pretzel-shaped martini glasses, even pretzel-shaped knives, forks, forks, and spoons. Feeling athletic? Try our new line of pretzel-shaped hockey sticks, volleyballs, and scuba gear. Into tech? Let our pretzel nerd show you the latest in pretzel-shaped tablets, smartphones, and drones. Available in salted and unsalted solutions.
1: And if you're musically inclined, give a toot on the world-famous pretzel
2: trumpet. This spit valve is filled with mustard
5: everything pretzelled, because life is more interesting when it's in the shape of a knot that's bent up then folded back inside of itself it's a little bit of twisted magic
1: We are in the home stretch of the Prince Edward Island episode, and I think we can all agree we've heard some really great stories from our beloved island. Personally, I'm a big fan of Prince Edward Island. Where else in Canada can you park your car for 10 cents an hour?
2: And no matter what your opinion is on Anne of Green Gables, I think we can all agree that if you believe in her, she's real.
1: Yeah, or some of us should just grow up and recognize fiction for what it is. But regardless, let's check in with Peter Oldring, who hopefully has made it to Prince Edward Island by the end of this episode. I would love to hear his perspective from there. Peter, are you there uh, on the phone and or are you on Prince Edward Island yet?
3: Pat, uh, one of the two of those is correct. I am on the phone. Uh, Sadly, I'm not on the island, but I want everybody to know I am safe.
1: Uh, what does that mean, Peter? Where are you?
3: Uh, well, currently I'm on a tanker, um, a large boat, a ship, a tanker. To make a long story short, I was seven kilometers across the bridge when a a relatively strong wind hit the smart car broadside, blew me off the bridge. Thankfully, a tanker was going under the bridge. I have landed wheels down on what would seem to be the top deck uh, of a relatively big uh, tanker, headed east.
1: Oh, my goodness, Peter... So you're not going to be making it to Prince Edward Island today?
3: I certainly wouldn't want you to hold your breath on that. Um, We are headed out into what seems to be open water. I have spoken to a couple of the crew members. Um, My best guess is is we're on a a Norwegian-bound boat. Uh, Now, I I don't really have a a tuned ear when it comes to the Scandinavian accents. Uh, It could be Norway, possibly Sweden. I don't think it's Wales.
1: Oh, boy. Well, we wish you best of luck, Peter, and and do keep us uh, posted as to where this boat is headed, and uh, too bad you weren't able to make it to Prince Edward Island today.
3: Yes, of course. Absolutely, I will. And uh, if you would do me the kind favor, good sir, of uh, seeing if somebody there can find my passport, take a quick picture of it, and then just text that to me so that I have a a version of it at the ready, uh, just in case.
1: All right. Take care, Peter.
3: Yes, thank you. Of course
1: told him not to rent that smart car. Who uh,
3: can Oh, gosh. Are you speaking? What are you saying? What are you saying?
2: All right. While we look into getting Peter back on land, we will leave you with the sound of rush hour in Cornwall PEI.
1: From all of us here at Road Trip Radio, thanks for listening.
2: I'm going to go call the Coast Guard.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Peter. Do you know what he's wearing?
2: Peter? Yeah. I'm assuming a linen suit.
5: Road Trip Radio has been made possible by the Government of Canada and is produced by Kelly and Kelly Creative and Sumo Audio. Research by Matt Masters, Janice Tufford, and Leslie Johnson. With contributions by Dave Shumka. Brian Short, Paul Tedeschini, Sophia Page, Zoe Robertson, Grant Lawrence, Jen Bohm, Naomi Sneekis, Matt Barum, Mike Balazzo, Sandy Jobin Bevins, and the Road Trip Radio kids from Arts Umbrella in Vancouver. Yeah! Keep listening to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day.